¿Listo? Vamos a empezar. Welcome to what else? Marco Swell. Good to be here. Let's talk about one thing for uh, off the bat. Um, I don't know that much about this, but uh, so you're from Spain, right? And you have like, how many names do you have? Like officially, how many you have? A, what's your full name? Okay. I have three first names and two surnames. Okay. So I have five in total. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Run it down for me. Marcos, Luis, Jose, Suero, Val. Okay. And First one is to you by your parents. Yep. Second, by your godparents. Third one, by the priest who baptizes you. Huh. Um, first surname comes from your dad, and first second surname comes from your mom. Okay. Yeah. So how does it work in Spain? Do most people use their, their mom's surname or both surnames? How does that, how does that work? So what's your middle name? George. George. So, you know, if um, there were two Nicholas Marcoses, sure. this country would be like, well, I'm, I'm Nicholas, I'm Nick George Marcos. Sure, right. So in Spain, you would use your mom's name as a distinguishing God. Uh, uh, factor between the two. So if there was another Marcos Suero or another Marcos Luis Jose Suero, <laughs> you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm that one, but I'm Marcos Luis Jose Suero Bal. Yeah. Even though, you know, obviously just like here, there can be like, there could be two Perez Lopez or whatever, like kind of like could be two Johnson Smiths. Yeah. Um, also happens. Sure. So then, yeah, then you go to the extra disambiguators. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um, so let's talk about some stuff. Um, tell me, remind me, what age did you move to the U.S. from Spain? I was 18 and two months. And you moved to, I want to say, East Lansing, Michigan. Is that right? Lansing, Michigan, downtown Lansing, Michigan. Okay. Um, I landed in New York City, uh, fell in love with New York City back then uh, from the sky. I thought it was, the most <laughs> it was my first flight ever, by the way. Oh, re- first airplane trip anywhere. Yeah. My first flight was, I think it was Barcelona, Madrid, Madrid, New York, uh, New York, Detroit, where a massive uh, snowstorm was happening. And this was uh, January 2nd, I think, uh, 1986. My brother picked me up and we drove about two hours or three hours in the middle of the snowstorm to Lansing, Michigan. I was, it was very exciting. I was, it was almost my first time seeing snow. And I saw lots of it that night. Yeah. That night. And your brother was here doing what? My brother came here to, well, he uh, came to the States, to Madison, Wisconsin, to get a uh, PhD in math. Okay. He got his PhD, and then he moved to Lansing, to East Lansing, Michigan, uh, to teach at Michigan State. Okay. Um, so then I was in Spain, 
and I wanted to be a rock star. I still want to, by the way. Yeah, you and me both. So, yeah. yeah. Any offers, I'm, I'm all over that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I wanted to be a rock star. And the only music that was being taught in Spain at the time was like classical music. It has changed a lot since then, but sure. that was that was available. And my brother found in Lansing, Michigan, a community college that was teaching kind of pop music. It was a, an associate's degree. And uh, that sounded interesting and it wasn't too expensive. And my dad agreed and said, okay, you can go for two years. And it's in what, 35? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So did you, I want to come back to a couple of things, but just to get the timeline. So you, you did that. Did you stay and do the two years and get that degree? I got my associate's degree in commercial music. It was okay. Called. Yeah. As if you actually want to make money off it or something. I don't know. I don't and, know what that means. And then where did you go from there and how did you get there? So then I got a little more into the technical aspect, like the engineering aspect of yep. music. Um, I really liked music theory, but I also thought it was very limiting. Like it was kind of trying to explain something that was very organic. Um, and it had some use. It was almost like being a botanist in a way, like, you know, plants happen and we classify them in a way, but it's kind of random, like plants do their thing. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. But it's useful to talk about leaves and flowers to other botanists, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I liked I, I like that, but I really got into the into the engineering part. So then, what I did is I stayed one more year in Lansing, and then I transferred to Columbia College, Chicago, to continue um, with the more technical things of music and sound. Yeah, and then I got my bachelor's from there. And then you were working in a studio, right? That's when I met you. I wasn't working there. I was interning. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was working. Okay. I was working my ass off probably, but no, actually I didn't. It was fun. Uh -huh. um, yeah. That's where we met the uh, Paragon Studios. Yeah. And what did you, what kind of stuff did you do there when you were an intern? Uh, I remember cleaning toilets. Um, I remember sweeping the front uh, sidewalk. And, um, yeah, no, it was, this guy was tough. Marty Fellman. Um, he's the owner of uh, Paragon Studios. Mm -hmm. he, I think he really believed it. It was a bit like um, Karate Kid, I think. Like you have to prove that you're really interested in this. And, sure. um, you know, you're going to wrap a lot of cables and you're going to do a lot of really uh, boring stuff. And I, I was fine with that, um, actually, to a degree. And then <laughs> when I told my dad, I think his pride was hurt. And he said, okay, you're going to stop doing that. I was like, no, no, it's really okay. I said, no, my son will not be cleaning toilets. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was the end of that. And what did you do after that? Where you were then you were still going to school at Columbia? Um. After I got my degree, oh, while I was going, no, while I was going at, uh, at Columbia College uh, to school, I applied for a student job um, at this 
place called the Center for Black Music Research. They were starting a library and archive. And um, I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. And I started working with this librarian, uh, setting up the archive. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be my life's calling. Um, I really got into that. Um, there were a lot of things that, um, that, that I liked that come into the job. Like I like history. I like old stuff. Uh, I like organizing things. I like sound. I like music. So mm -hmm. it was really interesting. And, uh, yeah. And that's kind of the feel I've been in since, um, yeah. on and on. Well, yeah, that's interesting. And did you know what it was before you got into it? Or it was more like you kind of like started doing that, working in that little department. And then you're like, oh, this is cool. This is the nexus of a lot of my interests. Yeah, no, I actually, yeah, it was just a job. And, yeah. you know, I think it was maybe like my second interview ever or something. Like, okay. yeah. I just wanted something to make any money really. Sure. And, um, and yeah, no, no, I had no idea about the profession. She started sending me, my, my boss, uh, Suzanne started sending me to conferences and stuff where other people in the field, um, attended and they really took me in and, and I was really young and, you know, that was really good of her. And the people that I met were really good too. So, um, it's, you know, it's kind of an obscure <laughs> field, uh, audio archiving. So, um, less so these days, but back then it was like, you know, mostly collectors, like, yeah, like a high fidelity type guys. Um, you know, like, well, do you have the, the, RCA Victor Red Seal Matrix number three three five two B or three three six two B, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that was a trumpeter from you know he's not very well known, but it's just like wacky people, um, but really passionate and and really fun and uh, very knowledgeable many times. So um, yeah, I enjoyed. It. That's really cool. Let's go back to the part about wanting to be a rock star. Tell me about, like, if you can, I mean, I think that, oh, yeah, I'm interested in the part. I mean, I know it's hard to put yourself back in the mind of where you were then, but when you were younger, like, how did you think about that? Like, were you practical at all about that? Did you have a plan or did you just like hope it would happen somehow or like, or was there a way in which you were specifically pursuing it? I mean, obviously it sounds like you went to, you came to America to try to go to school to learn about stuff that would help with that. But yeah, I think what I thought was that I, I was so incredibly talented that of course I was going to succeed at this. Um, <laughs> and then reality starts setting in and you realize, well, maybe you're not quite as talented as you thought. And and then the, the other aspect is there's a lot of hard work, right? That comes yeah. with it. Um, and it, it's interesting. Like, I don't regret at all anything that I've done. And I, I think you and I have had conversations about a lot of people talk about paying their dues in right. the music business and stuff like that. It never felt like that to me. Maybe that's the first problem. Like, 
I had fun the entire time. Like there was no deuce bang. Like, I, had, I had no objective in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to have a goal, but it was almost like a North star than really like if I don't sell a million records someday, I'm going to be devastated. Right. But it was cool to be like, Oh, I want to write really catchy songs and I want to be a better performer and I want to play better music and write better lyrics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and in that sense, I still am that way. Like uh, when, when I'm, <laughs> when a good song happens to come out of one's head or one that you like anyway, it's an incredibly satisfying thing. And and when you play it and when you record it and when people react to it, it's just such a thrill, you know? Yeah. Um, did did yeah. you, do you think you got into pursuing the, like doing the work and doing the practices stuff itself, as opposed to seeking, the goal, like I think about this sometimes in terms of there's the like working on writing songs and becoming a better player and the, you know, and some people are willing or not willing or to put in the work to do those things. And then there's kind of the separate but related path of like to become successful and stuff, which has something to do with those things, but also is a separate thing. And you need like a separate plan. Like you need like the plan to become an excellent keyboard player, an excellent songwriter is not the same plan to become a successful, financially successful keyboard player or a famous keyboard player or a songwriter. Right. Those are kind of different things. Like, did you have a plan for the external success part or were you just kind of wrapped up in the doing of it, do you think? And but but kind of hope that somehow that would eventually lead to the other part. I think the I mean, I remember uh, you know, doing things like buying the songwriters market every year. That those books that would tell you like, okay, who's looking for songs and stuff, and kind of being diligent about sending stuff out there for two or three years, but it was so incredibly boring. Yeah. Um, it's the stuff that I really I didn't have the stomach for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I had, I had no plan. I think really when I was younger, I thought, you know, I'm so good. How could I not be rich and famous? But jokes aside, you know, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I don't, I, I didn't have a specific plan, but incidentally, there's a great book called, it's a terrible title. It's a great book called um, um, Creating a Life Worth Living that uh, talks exactly about that, um, where the, the author goes through like different paths you can take, like if you are an artsy type of how you can make a living and put food on the table. And uh, I realized that one of the paths I took was the I don't know what she calls it, but kind of like the parallel of like, you know, something like audio archiving hits a lot of the check marks that yep. makes me happy playing music um, and getting better and all that and puts foot on the table. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what I want to do. And, but I think precisely because I, I was lucky to be able to make a living doing something like that. Um, 
I mostly haven't abandoned music, although I certainly play much less yeah. uh, than I do. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, right, you're a parent and you're, what, 53 now? Yes. Right, so it's a little bit of a different thing, potentially, in the lifestyle. Like, what's your approach to... Um, to like playing and writing and I'm interested in, in kind of, I guess the first thing is, is that still like satisfying or thrilling in the way that it was for you at a different age or at a different time? I would say that it's exactly as thrilling and satisfying. Yeah. Um, it's, easy in the sense that yeah i have a studio at home i you know i can play the keyboard anytime i i have i can record anytime um what i truly miss is playing live and playing with people mm-hmm. uh, and um yeah and we should collaborate more often amen but um um the, the but the problem with playing live and even even what we want to do collaborating it takes a little extra effort and i find myself being lazy about it uh, sure. being lazy seeking out you know putting an ad in the paper a keyboard player available or something like that and going to practice and all that stuff um so that i don't see happening probably in the near future even right. though i have friends who have children and are married and all that stuff that do it. Right. Um, I, th- I think there's a way to do it, but I, it's hard for me to do it. How about on the, um, I'm interested in both the playing and the writings part, but let's talk about the writing first. Like, do you, um, is the flow of ideas any different for you than it was 20 years ago or something like that? Yes, I think so. I think when you're immersed in it, you know how it is. I mean, you're very prolific. Um, when you're immersed in it, there's a certain, I think two things happen. One is that that muscle is very loose. Mm-hmm. So to, to get it going. Um, and second, you are less afraid of it not being good because it's going to be another song coming out tomorrow of your head. So I find myself kind of almost being a perfectionist now like oh i'm writing a song Ooh, you know it hasn't happened in two years or something Ooh, i'm writing a song or and i really want to do it well you know and make it real at least uh, you know me i'm I'm really i mean i like writing good songs but i'm really into the production aspect so right um you know all the arrangements good and let me do this and, and i spent you know whatever, three hours in the baseline. Um, whereas it used to be kind of like, ah, that's good enough, you know? And, and, and I think there's value to both. Yeah. I, I kind of miss the old approach, but I kind of like the new approach too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I think there's a real, there's a balancing act to be had there. Cause I think about stuff like that too. Like in the past, like probably would have been better to put a little more time into that and make it, a little better but it's also good to just keep cranking stuff out and so um yeah and i wonder if the balancing act is goes back a little bit to collaboration i think you know when you've been working on a song for a mm-hmm. while or whatever 
I think at one, there's a point of diminishing returns maybe where you're like, okay, now it's beginning to feel like work. Right? Yeah. But if you send it to someone else and these, I mean, that's how it used to be, right? You, you write the song, someone else plays it, someone else sings it, someone else mixes it, you know, records it, someone mm-hmm. else mixes it, someone else masters right. it, blah, blah, blah. This, this, there was this whole process. And now we can do everything from A to Z. And um, I think probably the results are less rich um, and more tiring, maybe. I don't know. Like they're very perfect, but it's very yeah. tiring. I feel like there's, yeah, I wonder if it's, I've been thinking about this too. Like, is it fatigue? Is it just like age and general energy level? Or is it fatigue because I'm doing more, spending more time on the end to end thing? Um, But I know what you mean. I feel like you've been a person who historically is very good about and open to collaboration like that seems like a a thing that you were always comfortable with and not as like um possessive maybe of your ideas or whatever and more willing to like kick it around with somebody and and shape something together is that accurate do you think um it's funny you would say that because i don't feel that way i feel like i um i sometimes get too married to sure you know well, this is the baseline. I hear it in my head because I, I, I do hear things in my head and sometimes yeah. they're very clear. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's something that, um, that I could be better at actually. Yeah. I think I remember working with a singer, um, this is years ago, someone here in New York city. And, um, it was really interesting collaboration because she would have melodies in her head and then it was kind of a dream come true because then I would build everything else around that melody, right? And, and she would tell me. But I remember being very impressed by how open she would be if I did things like, well, you know, pretty radical things like, what if you move this line from here to there? She will try like, yeah, okay. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Um, and I think that taught me a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember working with a guy years ago who was very willing to strip apart his own songs, do a totally different arrangement, take the same melody and just change all the lyrics, like would do whatever, right? Until he could find the fit. And it took a long time for that to, I remember being impressed with it at the time, but it took a long time for me to kind of um, really absorb that approach. Um, yeah which is funny because i always say that a good song will sound good you know as a reggae song as a jazz song mm-hmm. as a, you know one of the strengths of a good song is that it's yeah it doesn't matter that you use the mic preamp blah 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 right. it's a freaking good song a good performance the mic preamp will be like zero 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 point zero zero five percent of the sure. thing um so yeah, they're resilient. Good songs are resilient. Yeah, I think that's right. I always when I think about the right the adage of it's the singer, not the song, I'm like, that's backwards. It's the song, yeah. not the singer. It's it's Yep. Um It's interesting. I think uh 
So when you, do you have a particular way when you collaborate with people that you like to work? Like, do you, you know, do you like to say like, okay, I'm going to come with an idea and then I'll give it to you and have you work on this piece of it? Or do you like people to bring you something? Like, is there any particular mode of, or does it depend on the person you're working with and, and what the dynamic is or their strengths and weaknesses? So I, I think it really depends. Um, my favorite thing to do is when someone comes in with a bare bones song, basically, you know, piano and voice or guitar and voice. Mm -hmm. um, and then working with that person to kind of dress it up. Um, that's my favorite part. Yeah. And then um, basically production. And then the, um, the thing where I sometimes lose a little bit of patience is in the engineering aspect, because that you have to be very, it's almost like you're using a different part of the brain. Right. Kind of constrictive. Yep. Um, so when you're thinking, you know, oh, this would sound amazing through a, whatever, a PVC tube, right? Or, right. you know, but then to actually put the mic, get a PVC, you know, you know what I mean? Like and right. plug it in, yeah. use the right mic. No, that one doesn't like that stuff. I find myself, um, it's kind of a bummer almost like, oh, yeah. Ugh, why did I? <laughs> right. Stupid. Yeah. Um, I do it because I guess, you know, once you decided to do it, but yeah. sometimes you do oh yeah this took like three hours in the meantime you know we haven't recorded the lead vocal for crying out loud right you know so i find myself uh, sometimes going that direction which is not good yeah um do you sometimes do you, how, do you have the thing where like someone will bring a song bare bones song to you and then you're like oh i hear i hear it like i hear what yeah yeah, yeah all the time like i many times that's usually what happens. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I, I almost hear the whole thing. Um, not always. Right. But many times you're like, Oh yeah, I hear the, You know, I hear the, the drums right away, the bass line, mm -hmm. the, you know, and then, and then you dress it up or sometimes it doesn't work. Whatever, whatever, whatever you hear in your head is actually not doable for whatever, or just doesn't sound good. But. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested in that part of it. Like, have you had the, are there times where you hear something in your head and you just can't, like, it's just not, you can't get there for whatever reason. You, you, um, it's supposed to sound a, a certain way. And then when you, you know, you think you did all the parts the way you were supposed to and made the sounds the way you were supposed to and the whole just doesn't like get there. Like, do you still have like an yeah. idealized version in your head? I'm like, I still hear this whole this thing as a whole and this isn't it. <laughs> I thought like, yeah. you know, like I bought all the ingredients and I put them together and I followed the recipe, but this doesn't taste like chocolate cake. It tastes like, you know, I don't know, rye bread or something like that. <laughs> well, the extreme example, I'm sure this has happened to you where you wake up in the morning with a song and you hear in your head and it's like glorious, right? It's yeah. Like, oh my, that's perfect. And then it's just that it's a platonic idea. <laughs> it's impossible to put down on on tape yeah. um yeah similar things have happened to me even sometimes 
things that are almost unexplainable to me. Like I hear these two notes in my head and, or these two little lines. And I know this shoot, I know they're dissonant or whatever. There's a couple of points where the line is dissonant, but it still should work. And sometimes you play it doesn't work and it's really annoying. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe you need to know more. It's the kind of thing probably that if you do this kind of craft, you know, every day for 20 years, you're like, oh yeah, I know this used, this happened, you know, um, five years ago. And, and, and goes back to collaboration. And the guy that I was recording was like, oh yeah, that's because the, whatever, the harmonics of this trumpet and the harmonics of the clarinet are not matching up because of something, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that, yeah, that can get really annoying. Yeah. I remember there was a, uh, reading in some like guitar book that an interview with somebody like, I don't know, like, some jazz dude or something. I think it was John McLaughlin. And he was like, he, he sort of talks about, you know, learning the guitar and learning the fretboard and learning the theory. And his thing was like, he's like, I know how all 12 notes sound against the G minor chord. Like he's like, basically I know how every note sounds against every kind of chord. So I can, I know what note to pick to create the feeling that you want to create, you know? Yeah. I wonder sometimes if there's something to that, but then I think there are also the kind of slightly more intangible things where, you know, um, the math should work out, but it sonically doesn't, it doesn't feel like what you want it to feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at that point you have a choice. You can be stubborn, which is I usually, usually what I do. (laughs) Uh, and be like, no, this is going to be an, if it sounds bad, at least I did it on purpose, you know? Yeah. Or you can be practical and be like, okay, abandon this and do something else. Yeah. But sometimes it's also a matter of um, getting used to it in a way. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what, I, I think really it's that lack of knowledge. It boils down to like, I just don't know why. Mm-hmm. An explanation that I don't know. Mm-hmm. When you were learning to play, how did you learn? Did you take lessons from somebody? So, uh, there used to be a piano in the house and uh, I used to play it all the time. And then I took lessons for about three or four years. So, uh, yeah, I did the whole classical thing. My teacher was great. She was this lady from across the street um, back home. And uh, what would happen was that she would give me the whatever, Zerny, I think was one of the names or the little Haydn pieces or whatever. And she'd be like, all right, let's hear your Haydn. I'd be like, oh, I didn't practice the Haydn, but I did learn this Elton John song. <laughs> and she'd be like, all right, let's hear the Elton John song. And she was really cool, you know? And she, great. And try to adapt what I was playing. Um, she accepted and, and then she tried to apply certain principles sure. to the Elton which of course, but back then it was, I thought she was really cool. Cause when yeah. I would tell other people, you'd be like, wow. Yeah. My teacher doesn't do that. Yeah. That's pretty progressive for like piano teachers back then. Tell yeah. me a little about, um, where you grew up, like what it was like there. I grew up in a small town, uh, called Villafranca del Penedes, uh, about 
50 kilometers uh, from Barcelona, 30 miles from Barcelona. Okay. Um, about 20,000 people when I was growing up. It's grown a lot since. And it's now pretty much a suburb of Barcelona. But uh, when I was growing up, it was definitely a separate town. The main industry is winemaking. So as a child, um, we used to <laughs> visit the wineries. <laughs> it sounds funny, but uh, at least once a year, you would visit a winery. Okay. Um, the best thing is they would give you grape must at the end, fermented grape juice, which is the best. Uh, I still love that. So. Nice. And my kids now love it because when we go visit, they... they yeah. They, they must. Um, Great. Yeah. Um, so how would you like, was it kind of like a smallish town feel? Like what was it? It was kind of a medium town feel really. Um, it, there were a few things you need to go to Barcelona for, um, like if you wanted to buy a serious synthesizer or, Mm -hmm. or a good amp, there were a couple of music stores in town, but. Like if you wanted like a, a wider array from right. which to choose with Barcelona, um, things like electronics, you could get them in my hometown, but, but other than that, it had everything like, yeah. you know, the basics, bakeries and restaurants and yeah. green concerts, and it was all small, no chains, um, yeah. virtually no chains, I had a supermarket or two maybe, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very pleasant. Yeah, very for me. Yeah, that sounds like a nice way to grow up. And then, how many, how many people were in the house when you were growing up? So I have uh, four siblings, so it's five of us total. Um, then my mom and dad, but my mom died when I was young, when I was thirteen. She passed away from okay. cancer. So. Um, yeah. So, but we used to uh, we used to pile up um, all of us, all seven in a what you would consider a compact car. Now, yeah, go on trips and of course no seatbelts and, and take these epic trips because my dad and my mom were from the, a different corner of Spain, about uh, eight hundred miles away. So they're in the which, from the northwest, right? Yeah, yeah, Galicia. Um, so it's interesting. I've thought about this often that um, I'm the son of an immigrant in a way uh, because my dad, for example, never learned, really learned the Catalan language. Um, hmm. So he, his, his accent was pretty strong all his life. Um, and, uh, and here I am, you know, like I've, I've also emigrated. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I did learn the language. <laughs> what was the, uh, yeah. When did you, how much English did you speak before you came here? So I took many years. Uh, I want to one, two, three, four. Five. I took six years of English um, between middle school and high school. Right. Um, and then when I showed up here, I couldn't understand a word of what people were saying. Like it was, it was all written stuff. And if we ever did anything oral, it was um, English accent. So, um, 
yeah, it was crazy. When I showed up here, I was like, I have no idea what people are saying. That sounds crazy. Yeah. It took me, but it's funny because language is so fascinating. I remember, you know, landing in Lansing, Michigan, and my first week at um, Lansing Community College, I think maybe my first class or one of my first classes was taught by this guy who was not a very good enunciator. So he kind of mumbled and... Um, and, and he spoke exceedingly fast. So it was a really bad combination. So first, a first class, I went right up to him and I said, Hey, listen, I wonder if you would mind if I, if I tape the classes and I'll just transcribe it later. He said, no, no, no problem. Of course. So I thought I'll bring a little Walkman or something and, and figure it out. Um, and it was a weekly class. It may have been like, I had a class, believe it or not, this place was pretty cool. It had this guy taught uh, lyric writing and another class was Lennon McCartney. Okay. So that's cool. And history of rock was another one. Um, so then by the next week, I realized, you know, I, I brought the Walkman and then I realized I didn't even need to turn it on. Like something had clicked. And, uh, and I think that's how it happens with languages. I know that when I'm watching, for example, I remember watching Train Spotting, and first third of the movie, I didn't understand a thing. But then all of a sudden, I understood everything. Like mm-hmm. something in the brain says, okay, I see the pattern. Okay, now I got it. Toom. You know? Yeah. Uh, interesting how that happens. That's wild. Yeah. I took, uh, you know, probably five years of Spanish in junior high and high school. And I can say buenos dias. And that's about it. That's not true at all. <laughs> I've heard you talk, my friend and you no, you are amazing. I'm always think I, whenever you say that, I'm like, he's pulling my leg because there's no way that you've retained that knowledge until this age it is like, funny how some stuff like it's just buried in there right and then it gets unearthed and you don't even really know that you remember it uh, i think you secretly read like el quixote every night <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's right i'm studying up on the sly um speaking of reading you're a reader right you're a- i'm a slow reader but i'm a reader yeah would you ever think you ever think about writing a book? Is that a thing that ever occurs to you? Um, only technical books, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a good fiction. I, I, fiction writing would be. If you were going to write a book, what do you think you would pick as your subject? If someone was like, "Listen, you got to write a book in the next two years." Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know about audio archiving, probably, and doing something. That's really cool. Ar- arcane and um you know i used to teach a class on audio archiving for for several years mm-hmm. and when you start gathering information you you have the you have a syllabus you have you know you start sure adding stuff from here and there and you pretty much have a outline of a book yeah. so that's i've often thought that it would be cool to um that is cool do something like that when you think about like is there any other stuff when you think about creative things, aside from making music, aside from writing songs and recording them, 
Is there any other stuff you think to yourself, like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to, whatever it is. Um, I don't know if at this point I would pursue anything new because I feel like music is my first love and I have it neglected. Yeah. Um, but I do, I kind of regret, regrets perhaps a stronger word, but I used to do comics a lot. Um, and I, and I sometimes I'm like, you know, I should just do a little strip every day. Uh, yeah. With like a couple of sketches. I love that. Yeah. And you would, you would do the illustrations and the, what the dialogue or whatever it was. Of the... Yeah. Yeah. So I still cool. read a lot. So what are your favorites? Uh, my favorites are European, like, um, I don't, I don't do the superheroes or anything like that. Um, Tintin is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, Asterix, which is a, a French one. Right. One huge in Europe. Um, and then there's this uh, Belgian uh, cartoonist uh, called Frankin, who has um, uh, a couple of characters that are really amazing. Um, have you ever seen a picture? I've seen um, I've seen key rings of this little critter. He looks almost like a cat, but it has a big black nose, and the skin is like a leopard, and it has a really really long tail. Mm -hmm. Um, um Anyhow, he's the guy that designed this, this animal, and um, those that series of. Um, a series of books is incredible. Like, yeah. So those are my favorites. And then there's been some really good stuff recently. Um, so. Cool How do you find out about the newer stuff? Do you like, do you go to a store and buy a book, comic book or something like that? Or? Mostly through the library. Yeah. Um, I, I like to go to library when you could. Sure. I like to go to libraries and browse and I, I love I love the concept of curation. Mm -hmm. I think that um especially with the amount of information there is right now. Um I love the idea of an um and disinterested curation, like not because you want to sell me something, which is right. what Google and all of these places do, but just because and you're an expert. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like that. And and libraries do that. Like I get books from the library that my friends of mine that are avid readers haven't heard from, you know, because they it's almost like this separate channel that's outside of the commercial um commercial channels. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever ask like the librarians for recommendations or stuff, or you just kind of poke around until something catches your eye or whatever? Well, in many in many libraries, they will have um, you know like highlights of the month or sure. recommended. So that's kind of what I do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of like instead of on its spine for some reason they put it like mm -hmm. with the cover out, and I'll be like, oh, I don't know what that is about, and you read right. that. Yeah. So that's pretty much how I've chosen all my books in the last few years. Yeah. That's great. Um, 
I want to go back to a music question for you. Um, I'm interested in kind of like what, I guess I'll ask it this way. Like if I was to say to you, hey, my friend's uh, kid is starting high school next month and it's their birthday and I want to buy them a couple records, a couple albums to listen to. Like what would you be like, oh, kids gotta you gotta have this record if you don't have this record you got you gotta have this oh my god um without knowing the kid yeah just in general right just be like things you think people should be hip to wow that's a good question uh okay so i'm gonna say some random thing yes um so basically, I'm going to talk about my favorite albums. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I, I like to not make it too much pressure, like to be like, tell me the three best albums of all time. Like, that's a difficult yeah. question. But I mean, just like a couple records where you get excited about like sharing with someone. Like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, The Water Boys, This Is the Sea. I think mm-hmm. it's cool. Um, uh, you know, any, probably Led Zeppelin 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Um, any Louis Jordan best of? Mm-hmm. I would include there, and then um, some piano concertos by Mozart. Um, uh, Black sheep, a sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else some I'm trying to think sometimes well Goodbye Yellow Brick Road Elton John um, the fourth album by Peter Gabriel um, the Yes album David Bowie I would almost say Greatest Hits or something like that right yeah there's the changes Sometimes, Bowie, yeah. like that hits record. Yeah, one of those. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that. Oh, um, and probably Rock and Roll Animal by Lou Reed. Really? Yeah. Or either that or Transformer. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, you mentioned the, the Mozart piano concertos is there a particular uh performer that you like hearing play that stuff yeah i really like i really like alfred brendel okay and i like uh murray pariah okay really really good those are good tips yeah, they're, they're kind of performers that kind of stay out of the way you know like mm-hmm. it just, which is incredibly difficult to do, of course. Um, when you're that good, <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> want to show off a little bit, you know. Right. But it just yeah, there's something very unassuming about them, almost. It's like wow, it's masterful. It's almost like when you see a beautifully made chair, you know, or something like it's just simple, almost like a 
like a Quaker chair or something like yeah. that. So it's very deceptively simple, right? Like, right. Oh, the guy didn't put like filigrees or anything like that. It just made a beautiful chair. Right. So, yeah. I yeah. think about that a lot in uh, instrumental players, but, and also singers and stuff. And more, it's impressive when people can do all the stuff, but it's also kind of when they distill it down to the essence and there's not a lot of ornament. It can be more appealing even can be more powerful to me. Yeah. I remember, um, you remember playing with Steve Golding. Yeah. What a drummer, like no flash, just beautiful playing, you know, like yeah. just steady and just musically perfect. You know, he got mad at me though because I dissed uh, Aaron Neville. I said I thought Aaron, I hated Aaron Neville singing, and he got mad at me. Oh my god! Well, I feel exactly the same. I can't stand the guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm glad. I appreciate the validation there. Yes, you are 100 percent correct. <laughs> In your face, Steve. <laughs> um, Steve, right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> He just got burned somewhere. His, his chair got a little hotter. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this for a minute. Um, you uh, strike me as a person who likes a bit of adventure and travel and stuff. Um, I, are there places you really want to go? I'm also interested in this. I've been thinking about this idea of like, to me, I think is not that this is about me, but like um, the destination for me matters less over time in some ways with travel. There's places I'm interested to go and stuff, but like the experience of the thing, I can kind of get many of the benefits of a travel experience, no matter where the destination is. The, the sense of exploration and stuff like, what do you like? I mean, I, I'm assuming I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you still like to travel and you have traveled a fair amount, right? Very much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what do you well, like? What aspects of it do you love? Is it seeing new places? Is it meeting people? Is it like, what is it? Um, it's a good question. I think the, as I've gotten older, and maybe this is a version of what you were saying, um, I'm less interested in the uh, monuments and the uh, restaurants in a way, or, you know, I, I'm more and more interested in like almost uh, experiencing the, the, knowing what life is like there and mm -hmm. almost like, in a very selfish way, learn from them. Yeah. Uh, oh, I see you do things this way. Wow. I wonder. And, and I, th I think that's the best thing about travel in a way that then you go back home. It's like, I'm not going to do things this way anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do like the guys in this place do. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, it keeps you fresh in a way. And, and, and you, you do learn many times or yeah. even if it's something as simple as like, Wow, you know, this fish is amazing. What is it? Oh, it's halibut. Oh, but I've cooked halibut a million times. It never comes out this good. Well, we do it this way. Like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. You go back home, it's like, oh, I'm going to do it in this time. And that's so cool. 
Um, and uh, I'm to yeah, but it's funny because I'm kind of really curious as to what the pandemic is going to do to our work life. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife, Erna, used to um, uh, make, she used to have this standard um, question that she asked for a couple of years to everybody that was a, a dinner guest, which was, okay, name me a place. What would be your top place or maybe top two places where you would, you could see yourself living for like half a year or a year at least. Um, and people came up with really cool answers. And sometimes the funny thing is that like, there would be a couple and the other one would be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> something like that you know right so um a bit of that oh i'm kind of have this bug to go live in asia somehow um and i hope it happens all of, been- all of my bugs have come true which is great but um that's that's my latest one <laughs> how uh have you been to asia before so I wasn't interested in Asia at all. Well, okay, Lorna has has been there, so I had a bit of that tangential interest, right? Uh, because she lived in China and Indonesia. But then, when I was doing sound for uh, the, a dance company, we toured uh, Taiwan and Japan, um, and I totally fell in love with Taiwan. Like, I could I could live in Taipei tomorrow. Like, if you gave me a job, I'd, I'd pack my bags and go. Um, it's just so dynamic. It, I, I think what I, what I liked best about Taipei, and this was quite a few years ago, but was that I saw a sense of optimism that I remember sensing even in Lansing, Michigan, where, you know, things were pretty grim mm-hmm. at the end of the eighties with the Oldsmobile plant closing yeah. and everything. There was a sense of hopefulness of hope um that i think has abandoned this country um and i remember like being it was such a refreshing thing of people thinking yeah if i work really hard my children are going to have a better life than i than i have had mm-hmm. um, you know i don't think anyone ever said it explicitly but you just that people saw hope and and a possibility um, in their lives. So that's, that's a feeling that I miss. I like happy places. <laughs> um, when I like, for example, Detroit, and I was always like, Ugh, no, sorry. <laughs> in Detroit, as cool as it may be, uh, I need a happy place. Um, so, um, yeah. What are other, or the same example of another place that you feel like has a happy vibe that you've been to? I remember Vienna having a happy vibe. Um, what else? Barcelona goes back and forth. Um, oh, yeah, I know a town in Galicia named Vigo, um, which is used to be like the biggest port in Europe, I think, fishing port. Wow. Okay. Um, so very industrial, very... Um, I just think would be the equivalent. Oh, yeah, maybe something like Detroit, actually. Uh, um, but with the sea. <laughs> the Detroit of the sea. Um, 
And uh, for some reason in my mind, I was like, I think we should, I, I visited when I was very little, I don't remember anything about it with my dad. And back then it was really polluted, you know, it's like, but I remember telling Lorna, like, we, we have to go visit Vigo. Something tells me that it's a cool town because, you know, these kind of hardworking, kind of like no nonsense towns, mm -hmm. many times they're very resilient, I find, and that um, they kind of, I don't know, they roll up their sleeves and they do what needs to be done. And sure enough, it was delightful. It was just a great town. I don't know what the population it must be like a hundred thousand, maybe. Mm -hmm. It had everything. It had hip bars. It had, um, uh, you know, places that have been around forever, like bakeries have been around for a hundred plus years, and it's yeah. just really cool. Really cool. So that'd be another one. I like San Antonio, Texas, also a lot. I've heard that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, some of my list of places to check out. Um, do you have a, a like so when people can travel again and stuff? Do you have a spot that you would like to go? Do you have like a sort of a top of your list place that you'd like to go that you haven't been already? I think okay. I'm going to think of the top three. Probably would be four. Um, Crete, Cyprus. I'm really interested in that whole area right now. Um, especially after being to Athens, which blew me away, blew us all away. Um, Buenos Aires, mm -hmm. uh, Prague still, uh, Berlin, and, and, uh, Macau. I don't know why. Oh, we, <laughs> I know why. We saw a movie once that was set in Macau, and I thought it was really cool. Okay. Um, and then somewhere in China, I don't think it needs to be Beijing, uh, Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, are you? It sounds like I mean you're naming cities. Are you? Do you like traveling to to urban places, to cities rather than the country? That's a great question. Uh, I love. I love the country in the united states mm -hmm. like like the parks here are so incredible not just the national parks but like state parks um right. last year we went on an rv trip um through new york and new hampshire and maine and massachusetts and a lot, a lot of places and we almost exclusively slept in state parks and it's just astonishing how and how good looking they are, you know, like they're just yeah. cheap and like, it's just incredible. I mean, these settings, I'm like, wow, this is gorgeous. Yeah. So I like, I like traveling the country here. I don't know enough about the countryside of other countries, I mm -hmm. guess. So, um, I mean, I guess part of the reason makes me less interested is that if you're in the forest in Taiwan, it may not be that different than being in the forest in upstate New York. You know? Very good point. So um, I like traveling in nature quite a bit. I don't like camping, mm -hmm. um, but I like being in nature and hiking and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You just don't want to sleep there. I don't want to sleep there. 
the RV was fine, even though it's such a ridiculous thing. But that sounds um, pretty fun. It was incredibly fun. Yeah, yeah. Two, three weeks. It was three weeks of wow in an RV. That's great. Yeah, as long as you have to put out of your mind how much gasoline you're using <laughs> every freaking mile, and how you're probably depleting the ozone layer right. with every. And then were you like, you're cooking on the grill or whatever, the little yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I, I told Lorna later that uh, one of the things that I really like about it is that probably like camping, it just gives you a very specific goal and a very, what's an attainable goal. It mm-hmm. kind of gives you focus. It's a bit of like, the North star we talked about earlier. Like I feel like these days, especially, I don't know if it's New York city or what it is, but like you just get a lot of input from a lot of different places. And it's it's hard to prioritize for me. I get easily distracted. Like, Oh, should I do this first or that first? And, um, and something like that was like, okay, by tonight we have to be in this place. We need to find food. Uh, we need to figure out what we have already, you know, like very simple things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is the road we're going to take and, and you work together and like, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a more abstract question for you. Can you think of something that you, like a belief you had when you were young that you no longer believe? Or the other way around, right? Or something you disbelieved in when you were younger that you now are like, oh yeah, now I totally am on board with that. Could be anything. Okay, give give me some examples from other guests. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I think it could be any. It could be something abstract, like you know, I used to think all people were essentially the same, and now I think people are fundamentally different. Or it could be, um, right? I used to think that things happened for a reason and now I don't, or I don't know, you know, it could be anything. It doesn't even have to be that kind of like, it doesn't have to be profound. I'm just interested if like, I guess what I'm asking about is like, are there things that you you're aware of that like you've changed your mind on or changed your position on over time? Um, Do you feel like you've been pretty consistent in the way you think about things and, and the conclusions you reach? I feel like I've been, Sounds awful, but I feel like, yeah, nothing has changed much in the way that I live or the things I believe. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting anecdote. Um, We were once uh, traveling through um, the Rocky Mountains and we're following someone and uh, we had a rented car and it was Lorna and I and uh, our daughter Daniela, who was in the back, who uh, was sleeping, she must have been like maybe one or two at the time. Mm-hmm. She was sleeping. Um, it was kind of bad weather, and there was uh, the road became a sheet of ice, and uh, we're trying to keep up with our friend who was um, an experienced Colorado driver, and. Uh, at one point, the, our car spun out of control, and we were in pretty high mountains. <laughs> and the car skidded, and um, you know, 
utterly out of control. And I was trying to do the things that I remember you're supposed to do, like sure. turning the word and all that stuff. Just like just completely out of control. Just turning, turning, turning. Right. Um we inch close to the edge. And you know, it was all pretty gentle and slow. It's not like the car is like going like crazy because we were all going pretty slow, but it's kind of like it probably did like two turns, maybe. Uh, terrifying. And you know, we go to the edge of the road. At that point, there was no guardrail. We go to the edge of the road, and then the car basically stops because there's some little bushes, like maybe I don't know, twelve inches high. Nah, not probably not even that. So there's a little bump, you know, off the asphalt, and then mm-hmm. the car stops there. So basically, the back of the car is hanging out over the precipice, and it's pretty high. Um, so we're like, okay, okay, how are you? Good. It felt like the car could like, you know, at one point go and, and fall. So I'm like, okay, don't move. I th- I'm thinking, okay, cantilever, Lorna, stay in. I'm going to step out of the car very careful. And, or maybe, I don't know who picked up Daniela, but let's get the baby out of the car, right? So we, you know, we open the door. We don't close it just in case. Mm-hmm grab the kid and then okay and then we both get out and we're like oh my god the interesting thing is that it's such a we're like close to death basically and um there was no the interesting thing for me later was that there was no um epiphany you know like oh my gosh i almost died I, you know i've lived my life the wrong way blah, blah, blah. <laughs> None of that, like zero. It was more like, or, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to believe in God or anything like that. Like it was none of that, which was a little disappointing in a way. Like I went through that that really terrible experience and didn't learn anything from it. Like that's kind of crazy, but in a way it was also reassuring. Like, okay, I don't have regrets really. Like if I died today, I would be, I would be, happy you know like it's nothing nothing is gnawing at me i guess which is right. good and bad <laughs> it seems <laughs> it makes me really unambitious but um no i think that seems that seems like a good thing that seems like uh it seems like the product of you know living your life the right way for you um so when you think about that you brought this up so like in general I don't know how much time you spent thinking about this, but right, you were you're at an age where you've had family members who've died and things like that. Like, are you? Is that something you're afraid of, or is that something like when you think about death? Is that something that how, how do you feel about it, or how do you think about it? I'm not afraid of death, but I'm I'm very afraid of aging and 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 the process of dying. Um, uh, <laughs> Lorna keeps uh, nagging me that I get a, a colonoscopy, right? Because we're at that age. Sure. I kind of have no interest in it. Uh, I understand that um, it's probably a smart thing to do, but I was thinking about it uh, the other day. Like, okay, what is the goal? Is the goal to live longer or is the goal to live happily? And, mm-hmm. and to me, um, and this, is, this just shows you how chicken I am that um, the idea 
and you know you face the stuff um yourself so having to fight for it is almost like unappealing in a way like Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna let it happen Mm -hmm. um and and part of the reason is because i think okay who would benefit from who benefits from me being around (laughs) and and obviously the kids but the kids are all set like thank goodness we have plans and we have life insurance and all that stuff so it would be okay um and if they don't have me around well you know maybe because i had the experience of losing my mom when i was very young yeah i also realized you move on you know yeah Yeah, that's a yeah, really it's an interesting point, right? You you know from experience that it's it's not awesome, it's not super happy, but it's survivable, right? It's and it didn't ruin your life, right? I don't think so. I mean, um, <laughs> it it it. I'm sure it affected me probably in ways that I don't even realize. Sure. Um, you know, my dad and I used to have these conversations of like. No, but truly, truly tell me, I'd be like, Dad, I think I, I think I'm okay, really. Right. Um, I really truly think I'm okay. But and and I would tell you, I'd say the same thing, you know, it, it probably has affected me in ways that I don't realize, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I'm kind of a happy person, you know. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, back to your questions about um what has what what belief has changed there's one that changed when i was you know a teenager but i and i remember the exact point when it happened and it, this is gonna sound lame but um i was really you know so i was uh i was really into physics and i remember reading um this book called chaos by james glyke and up till then, I guess I was uh, a determinist. So I thought, okay, there's these physical laws. Yes, they're very complicated, but blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that um, reading that book, and there was some, some other book I was reading at the time. And I remember I was at the beach reading this book and how it said that it's all probabilities, like nothing is set. So the, the fabric of the universe itself is probabilistic. And that just blew my mind. I was like, whoa. So that means there could be something called free will and all this crazy stuff uh, that used to make no sense whatsoever. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, and then I'm trying to think if I think, I, I still think people are good generally. Um, if anything, misguided. Um, my political beliefs such as they are haven't changed that much either yeah yeah i'm very cynical um in a way and and something that i get from my very uh inquisitive i think like you know i tend not to i always like to inquire a little further than Mm -hmm. it's probably good for me but Mm-hmm. As opposed to taking things at face value, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's why it makes me really sad that the 
and this will fix itself. I'm utterly convinced, but right now it makes me a little sad that, um, you know, that we're flooded with information and, um, that we can't process it. I mean, that's just not good. And, and people are going to rebel against that. I know that. Yeah. But, yeah. Love it. Like curation, really, and distillation. You, you, we need someone um, that you trust, you know? Mm -hmm. And right now, we don't trust anything or anybody. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very fatiguing. Like, if I, I have to wonder whether this is true or not, which people do, then it's kind of like, this is not really efficient. I'm wasting a lot of time. <laughs> Great. Listen, thank you for doing this. We got I we have a hundred other topics we could cover, but I'm I'm glad we had this time to talk. Thanks for uh thanks for doing the thing, thanks for being the guest on What Else. This was fun. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>